We speak a great deal about baptism. And we consider what 1 Peter 3.21 says about it. That's really no surprise. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. You would think that something that the Bible says saves us would be something that we would talk quite a bit about. And yet sometimes I do fear that we talk so much about baptism that we lose sight that there are some things that baptism does not do. And today I'd like for us to talk about that. What are the things that baptism does not do for us? Because we've got to make sure that we keep baptism in its proper biblical place. Before we take a look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we are humbled today that you've allowed us to gather in your presence with your children, that we might save, that we might preach your gospel and study your word, that we might worship and honor and glorify you. And we pray that some would be drawn closer to you and be saved by what you have said and by what you have done for us. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your Son to die for us. We thank you for sending your Spirit to reveal your Word to us. We thank you for providing us with your church and the relationships that we have with one another. We thank you that you have provided us with food to eat and clothes to wear and shelter where we can live and be protected. Father, we are so thankful because you have blessed us far more than we deserve. We pray that you would help us to understand your Word today, that we might know how to glorify and honor you that we might know how to submit to you and be saved and have our sins taken away from us. Help us to understand what you have revealed. Help us to make sure that baptism is in its proper place in our lives and within the teaching of this congregation. Help us to do whatever it takes to glorify you. Through your Son we pray. Amen. I want to talk about ten things that baptism does not do. The very first thing we need to recognize is that baptism does not save us by itself. We know what 1 Peter 3.21 says. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God from a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even within that text, we recognize that it's not baptism all by itself, but there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the good conscience. We can look at passage after passage that talk about things that save us. We know that Jesus saves us. The Father saves us. The Spirit saves us. We know that faith saves us. Throughout Scripture, there are many things that are listed as saving us. We have got to understand that while baptism is a part of that plan, baptism does not save us all by itself. If baptism, which the word that's translated baptism really just means immersion in water, if that all by itself saves people, then really who among the world would not be saved? The reality is that almost everybody has at one time or another been immersed in water. But it's more than just being immersed in water. We have to understand, baptism is a part of the equation, but baptism does not save us by itself. Baptism does not take the place of faith. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Mark 16 and verse 16, the Bible says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. We recognize there that there are two things that Jesus mentioned. We have to believe and we have to be baptized. Do we have to be baptized? Absolutely. But does baptism without faith accomplish anything? Absolutely not. Baptism, while it may indicate our faith, it may be a sign of our faith, and for those who do it properly, it most certainly is an indicator and a sign of faith, but it does not take the place of faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, even if we were baptized. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, even if we were baptized. Do you see what that means? Baptism, for all that it does do, it does not take the place of faith. And without faith, baptism does us no good. Baptism doesn't save itself, save us by itself. Baptism does not take the place of faith. Baptism does not take the place of repentance. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Repent and be baptized. Do we have to be baptized? Absolutely. But baptism does not equal repentance. And baptism does not take the place of repentance. Repentance, of course, is that idea of looking at our lives and making a change. Thinking through our lives again and realizing that what we have done is wrong and we're going to change and commit ourselves to doing what is right. That is what repentance is. And baptism, for all the good that it does us, does not take the place of repentance. If you look in Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the Bible there says, Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. This passage points out that God does something to us when we're baptized. We are baptized into Christ's death, His death is applied to us. A change is made. We are redeemed. But God also expects a change from us. If you look in Romans 6 and verse 13, it says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When we consider all this together, it points out that God does make a change in us when we are baptized, but He expects a change from us because we were baptized. There was a time when we would go on presenting our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but now that we've become a child of God, we are supposed to have repented and turned away from that and heading in newness of life, walking in righteousness, presenting our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Baptism. Baptism does us a great deal of good but it does not take the place of repentance. Fourthly, it does not take the place of confession. This highlights an error that is taught today. Have you ever heard anyone say that baptism is merely the outward sign of an inward grace? For many today, baptism is used as that idea of confessing. We want to show the world the change that has taken place in our heart. That's the common idea of baptism in the religious world today. But I want you to look in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, 
The Ethiopian eunuch is taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is preached to him. And in verse 36, they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. You recognize that the Ethiopian eunuch gave a confession. He confessed his faith and he believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He wanted to be baptized. Philip wanted to baptize him. But before Philip would baptize him, he needed a confession. He needed to know what was going on in his heart. So I want you to notice this idea that baptism is what's showing everybody what's going on in their heart is not what the Bible presents. The Bible says that we've got to be baptized. The eunuch recognized after Philip had preached Jesus to him that he had to be baptized. That's why he asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? But the baptism itself was not the confession of what was going on in his heart. Philip needed to hear a confession to know what was going on in his heart and then baptize him. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and then with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We have to believe, we have to confess, but we have to recognize that baptism does not take the place of either one of those. Baptism is not our confession to the world that we believe in Jesus Christ. Our confession is our confession that we believe Jesus is the Christ. Baptism is what Jesus establishes, how we enter Christ. But we have to have both confession and baptism. So baptism doesn't do any of these things. When it comes to becoming a child of God, it doesn't save us by itself. It doesn't take the place of faith. It doesn't take the place of repentance. It doesn't take the place of confession. But after we're baptized, even if we've done all of these things, we need to recognize that baptism does not remove temptation. We like that. We wanted to become children of God. We wanted to overcome sin until we were baptized. And what we'd like to hope and think is that, well, after that it's going to be easy and there's not going to be any more temptation, but it doesn't work that way. So please don't enter Christianity naively thinking that you can be baptized and come up and after that Satan's going to leave you alone. That's just not going to happen. And if you have been tempted, please don't take it. Not if. When you are tempted, please don't look around at everybody else and think that somehow you are less of a Christian because you have been tempted while everybody else is left alone. That's not the case at all. Baptism does not remove temptation. Think of a few examples. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira had been baptized, but they were tempted, and they fell, lying about how much they had sold their property for. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer had been baptized, But he was still tempted because of the baggage that he brought with him into Christianity to try to pay money for the gifts that the apostles had. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter, no doubt, had been baptized. And yet in Galatians chapter 2, we recognize that Peter was tempted to hypocrisy. Barnabas had been baptized, but even Peter's hypocrisy tempted him. We've got to understand this. Baptism does not remove temptation. Baptism removes our sins. It cleanses us. But it doesn't mean that after that, Satan's going to leave us alone. In fact, what it probably means is that after that, Satan's going to heighten his attack because he's lost us and he wants us back. 
Baptism does not remove temptation. But having admitted that, we also need to understand that baptism does not provide us with a license to sin. We don't get to say, well, I was baptized, and so now my sins are removed, and so now it doesn't matter how I live. There are some folks that have the idea that salvation, you'll hear them say, oh, listen, Jesus died before all of us lived anyway, so at that moment we're saved. It forgave our sins past, present, and future. Now it doesn't matter how we live, because we, we have a license by the grace of Jesus Christ, though few would ever admit that that's what they're teaching, but that's what they really are saying. We have a license now to live how we want, because Jesus' death through our becoming a Christian... Forgave all those sins, past, present, and future. But baptism does not give us a license to sin. We already read Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 pointed out that we were supposed to have repented. We're no longer to allow sin to go reigning in our body. We're not to present our bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But now we're supposed to submit our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness because, and Romans 6.23 points out, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote that to Christians. He wanted Christians, people who had been baptized, to understand that the wages of sin for Christians is death, just as the wages for sin for non-Christians is death. If we're going to live as though we have a license to sin just because we've been baptized, we are not going to be saved. Romans 6, beginning at verse 1, what did it say? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We're not supposed to continue living in sin. Baptism does remove temptation. Neither does it provide for us a license to sin. Baptism does not prevent suffering. We might think that Christians, because they have had faith in God, that God is now going to protect us from all manner of suffering. We shouldn't get sick. We shouldn't get laid off. No bad thing should happen to us because we're child of God, children of God and we have faith in Him. But it just doesn't work that way. We still live in a world where sin reigns. And because sin reigns in this world, suffering is in this world. People get sick. People get hurt. People get laid off from work. People die. There are relationship problems. All kinds of things happen. Just two examples. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, if I can get my Bible to turn to the right page, Paul told Timothy, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. Timothy still got sick. He had frequent ailments. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Paul spoke of Erastus who remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. You know, the interesting thing about both of these is that Paul had miraculous gifts of healing. He could have healed them. We're not going to get into what all that might indicate. I just want to point out that even though Paul had the gift of healing, he didn't just heal everybody. Because baptism does not remove suffering. We live in a world where suffering exists. And we as Christians will suffer. We'll get sick. Our friends will die. Things will happen. We'll get laid off from work. We'll have arguments and fights with people. All those kind of things will happen. Because baptism, for all that it does for us, it does not prevent suffering. 
Baptism does not develop spiritual maturity. We don't go into the waters of baptism immature and come out of it mature and whole and complete in the sense of having grown in Christ. That just doesn't happen. When we come out of the waters of baptism, we are not a full-grown adult Christian. We are a baby. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 demonstrates this to us. It says that like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We have become babes in Christ. And now we're supposed to long for the milk of the Word. We're supposed to long for the sustenance which comes from the Word because that is what's going to make us grow. We must not come out of the waters of baptism thinking somehow we've reached the pinnacle of spiritual growth and development. We're just getting started. We must not think that now I'm saved and everything's good. We must think now I'm saved, now I have to grow. Longing for the pure milk of the Word because baptism does not produce spiritual development. Baptism produces spiritual babes. We now have to mature in the Word. Baptism does not make us better than others. That kind of ties in with the last one. Sometimes we have the idea that I got baptized. Now now I'm good. I'm saved. I'm at the pinnacle. I'm at the top. I'm at the height. And I'm better than everybody else who hasn't done that. We might end up being like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. How easy it might be to come before God in prayer and to say something like the Pharisee said. He said, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Swindlers. This is Luke 18.11, by the way. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And how easy it might be for us to look around at all the other folks in the world and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I have been baptized. Baptism does not suddenly make us more valuable to God than anyone else. It does not make us more worthy than anyone else. It does not make us better than anyone else. And there is never a time when we can look and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I got baptized because we're just like them. We sin just like they sin and needed a Savior just like they need a Savior. And when we have come to that Savior and submitted to Him, we have not become better than them. We've just become forgiven. We're just on a different part of the journey than they are on. And that is it. And in Luke 17 and verse 10, we need to remember what it said there. So you too, Luke 17 and verse 10, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. We're unworthy slaves. We've only done what we should have been doing. And when we've been baptized, we haven't become better than anyone else. We have merely obeyed the command of God as we were supposed to anyway. We have not merited or earned anything. We are still unworthy servants. And we've got to understand that. Baptism doesn't make us better. It just makes us forgiven. And we should want that forgiveness for all. And finally, baptism does not merit our salvation. There's no person that's gone into the watery grave of baptism that when they came up out of the waters can now look at God and say, You owe me! Can you just fathom that? To me, it's just amazing that when we talk about and discuss the issue of baptism with folks, that they would even remotely suggest that because what I say and you say that folks have to be baptized in order to be saved, that we're claiming they merit or earn salvation. 
If we were going to talk about meriting or earning salvation, I think one of the last things we would think that might remotely possibly earn salvation is go have somebody dip you under the water. We might tell them, you need to go on a spiritual journey and climb Mount Everest and get to the top and for ten years think about spiritual things until you've completely divested yourself of any sinful and impure thoughts and then come down and then you'll be saved. Maybe then we might start talking about earning salvation. But go ahead and somebody dip you underwater in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Does that even remotely sound like anything that anyone could possibly say, oh yes, you're trying to merit salvation by doing that? Even though the Bible says we have to be baptized, it also says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may, bo- may boast. We're saved by grace. It's the gift of God. We can't earn it. There's not a thing we can do to earn it. But that doesn't mean God doesn't have conditions. And the fact that God has conditions doesn't mean that when we meet those conditions, we've earned it. I just want to give you an illustration. There was a debate once between a preacher that believed you had to be baptized in order to be saved and a preacher that believed you didn't. They debated for four nights. And at the end of the fourth night, the preacher that claimed that you did not have to be baptized to be saved because salvation is free, it's the gift of God, it's grace, you don't have to meet any conditions... He concluded his statement with this. He said, we've talked, and I don't I know the exact words, I'm paraphrasing, but we've talked for four nights about this, and I know we haven't talked about everything we could, but here's the good news. I've got a newsletter that has all this teaching in it, and you can hear more about it from this newsletter, and, and here's the good news. It's just like salvation. It's absolutely free. All you have to do after this is over is come up here and sign up this on this sheet, and I'll send it to you. Did y'all catch that? It's absolutely free. All you have to do is sign up on the sheet. Well, that's salvation. It's absolutely free. All you have to do is sign up. How do you sign up? Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. See, we understand that concept. We understand having to meet conditions and yet something still being free. Baptism does not merit salvation. But baptism is a condition. All these things. We talk so much about baptism and we need to talk about baptism because it's important, but we need to realize that baptism has a place. And it doesn't save us by itself. It doesn't take the place of faith. It doesn't take the place of repentance. It doesn't take the place of confession. It won't remove temptation. It doesn't provide you a license to sin. It's not going to remove all your suffering. It doesn't make you suddenly a mature, adult, full-grown Christian. It's not going to make you better than anyone else. And it's not going to earn salvation. God's not going to owe you anything by the time you're done. But we do need to remember the place of baptism. Because in Mark 16 and verse 16, Jesus did in fact say, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Sadly, there are a lot of folks that like to focus on the last half of that verse. He who does not believe will be condemned. I prefer to focus on the part of the verse that tells us how to be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is part of salvation, and we can't get around that. But let's make sure to keep it in its proper place. 